Welcome to Witchlit, a place to talk about the craft of writing and writing the craft. I'm your host, Victoria Rashke, author, publisher, witch, and nosy Scorpio. You can support Witchlit and the serious book habit it requires at ko-fi.com slash witchlitpodcast. And you can be part of the show by sending in your own death, sex, religion, politics, money questions for our guests to victoria at witchlitpod.com. If you like what we're doing here, please subscribe and give us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does help other witches find the show. Here's to never getting to the bottom of our to-be-read piles. Estrella Taylor is an eclectic pagan witch and the author of Intuitive Witchcraft, Air Magic, and the forthcoming books Modern Witchcraft with the Greek Gods and Inspiring Creativity Through Magic. Her life goals include empowering other magical practitioners and encouraging them to use intuition in their craft. In her books and classes, Estrella shares her love of science, magic, history, mental health, and energy awareness. She also mentors magical people to help them walk their truest paths with more confidence and self-love. Jason Menke is a third degree Gardnerian high priest and helps run two witchcraft covens in the San Francisco Bay Area with his wife, Ari. He is a popular speaker at pagan and witchcraft events across North America and Great Britain and has been recognized by his peers as an authority on the horned god, Wiccan history, and occult influences in rock and roll. Jason is the author of several books, including The Witch's Book of Spellcraft, The Horned God of the Witches, Transformative Witchcraft, and the new book, Modern Witchcraft with the Greek Gods. Estrella Taylor and Jason Menke, welcome to Witchlit. Thank you so much for having us. We're excited it's to be good here. to be back. Yeah. So Jason, you're officially second time on the show. <laughs> Two more times and I get a jacket. I'll be in the four timers club. Oh, right. I, now I'm going to have to come up with a jacket. <laughs> I think you and Corey Thomas Hutchison might have to fight that one out because I know we're going to have him back pretty soon too. So, um, well, the first question we always ask people, and Jason has answered this, but you feel free to answer it again, is, you know, in this age of myriad ways of communication, why write? Why write books? Uh, yeah, well, I love books. I've loved books since I was a child, like most people, I think. And mostly I love how books can take you on an adventure, a journey. They can take you into other realms, either mentally or spiritually. Sometimes you can even have those physical sensations. And I just love that. To me, reading and writing is like going into another world. So that's what I really try to put into my work. It's it's like this dream that unfolds in a way. So I love being in that kind of a dream, that kind of an illusion. And it just lights me up in so many ways. So that's why I write. Awesome. Jason, you want to weigh in again? Ob- <laughs> I'm contractually obligated at this point to write. <laughs> you know, it's a means of perhaps one day having my own Discovery Plus reality show. That That's really the dream now. So you'll have to come up with a, a not alien shtick. It'll be like witchcraft instead of aliens. Absolutely. has to be. We can I like call it. it not aliens and people watch it. <laughs> I kid. I I I've always wanted to be a writer, so it's it's a blessing that I get to do this. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool when you know you get to see those books on the shelf with your name on the spine. That's a that's a pretty. I mean, I don't. It sounds like for both of you too. It's like that was my goal as a kid. It's like book on the shelf, name on the spine. So, 
Very cool. Um, so this, Jason, I know you've written books with other folks in it. Astrea, I think you have as well, right? Doing other collaborative books. Um, no, this is my first. This is your first collaborative one? book, oh, okay. and um, uh, it'll it'll be a statement to our uh, working together that I, I will do another one. Probably, I'm open to do another one probably one day. But I've done four books prior to this by myself, and you know, it's it's nice to have a writing buddy that you're working on the same thing with. So. Mm-hmm. It's a really interesting experience and it's new to me. I know Jason has done it before, but um, so he had some experience going into this of what to expect and how things are going to unfold and whatnot. But I just really love communicating about this book and like building that dream together. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is my third one with other people. I think it's just because I want my name on as many things as possible. It just cuts down the time. It makes it like half the time. Uh, It's great working with other people, though, because one of the things I think about witchcraft is there are so many different perspectives in it. There are so many different ways of doing it. So to work with other people puts those perspectives in that maybe I don't have. And so I'm always like really excited to collaborate. I already know the next collaborative book I'm going to write and who it's going to be with. And if this book is successful, we'll probably have to do like modern witchcraft with the Celtic gods and the Egyptian gods and the and the Norse gods. It'll be like our whole thing. As long as we have enough passage authors to fill in the blanks where we don't actively communicate with that deity, I think that would be fine because I loved researching yeah. this book. We're kind of both academics in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, Jason, you've written a lot about history. You're kind of known for knowing about history too. And I have a science background and I've written a lot of scientific papers and whatnot, but um, this is my first pagan exploration and I really loved it. I I feel like it's been building for decades in my life since I picked up, um, you know, When God Was a Woman by Merlin Stone and The Chalice and the Blade when I was a teenager. So it's it's really been an amazing journey to do this book. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask about the research. I would imagine, I mean, well, if anybody picks this up and looks at the bibliography, they're going to know <laughs> like this was a lot of work to put together. So how did you decide who was going to take what God and how, how that did you toss coin or <laughs> was, I think it was like September, 2020 during the pandemic. And we had a phone call and we just divvied everything up. We had a structure for the book in place. You know, we were going to do a little history of every major deity and then there would be like a ritual or some magical some magical work with that deity and then find a third person to write about that deity about their personal relationship and we just went through you know i'd written before about some of these gods most specifically pan so i was like i can't be that i can't write that part <laughs> because i've already done it because again you want those different perspectives and those different ways of doing things yeah, when I came across that in the book, I was like, oh, I bet that was the decision why Astraea wrote that part. <laughs> so, yeah. No, it's unfair to her because I'm like really critiquing it really hard. It's, you know, I'm like, I mean, you're able to add this, this. we added a lot of suggestions to each other's works too. I was like, hey, you forgot this. And he's like, oh, crap. And he's like, why didn't you say that? And I'm like, oh, good. A couple of times it was like, maybe we shouldn't use that reference. That book kind of sucks. <laughs> so, um, it was like having, it was like working with an editor up front. That's not a bad thing. Yeah. To have someone to bounce that stuff off of. I like that idea a lot. 
Yeah, Writing so, is usually um, this... Oh, sorry. Well, uh, one thing you forgot to mention, Jason, is that we kind of just like laid out all of the past, all of the gods, and we're like, okay, what do you want the most? Pick it first, and then, you know, I'll go next, and you'll go, I'll go. And so we really got to choose our top five, I'm guessing, uh, you know, as far as like whether we wanted to do the history the magical practices of those and i think we were both really happy with that and then there were ones where we were like oh i don't want to do either what well, we have to do one or the other so i'll do the easier one for me or you know mm-hmm. i know you know more about that one so i'll pick this one and then yeah there were some ones where it was like jason was like yeah you have to write the history of pan which i actually enjoyed very much it was it was great so i so, have to ask just out of curiosity like who is the kid left at the end of choosing your dodgeball team Aries, Aries. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were like, Which, oh. it, it's keeping with Aries in Greek religion too, because he was not like a major figure, and a lot of the city states didn't really like Aries at all. There's a, a reason that there's you know the Acropolis with Athena up there, right? Not not the warrior, but the planner. Mm-hmm. They did not like Aries very much. Yeah, well, I mean, war is not great, right? Ever. <laughs> so. Even the Spartans didn't really like Ares very much, you know, and they were pretty warlike. Like the only place he was popular was in Thebes. But yeah, there were some that were like harder to like get somebody to do than others. And then there were some that I ended up doing. I did them because I did not have relationships with them and did not know as much about them as maybe I should have. Uh, Hecate or Hecate was one of the ones that I had to do the history of. And I'm that it's sacrilege and witchcraft to say that, but I'm not a devotee. <laughs> so, so that was kind of an experience for me. Yeah. I mean, she is definitely, and, and you say this in the book as like the probably most popular current deity, I guess, you know, for witches, but I, I mean, yeah, not everybody can be in the, in that yeah, boat, and she had so. one of the longest magical sections too. I worked with her magically, but um, I didn't know her history either. So I thought the magical parts would be easier because I've already had some experiences I mm-hmm. could share. So did either yeah, the writing the history was difficult because while we think that we have all of this information about her and that she was this goddess that was huge in the ancient world, if you read a lot of books about Greek religion and the Greek gods she's really kind of a paragraph or two paragraphs she's a much Mm -hmm. smaller uh, entry so that that presented some challenges yeah and i do wonder if like the the reason i i mean i i'm curious as to what was the spark for that like why she's because it was like just her time or was there something in pop culture or something that like kind of sparked that I think it was her region, you know, it didn't have a big city state, um, you know, like Athens or Sparta. Um, so I think that that was why she's not in the records as much mm-hmm. as, you know, Athena or Zeus, Hera, <clears throat> Aphrodite, you know, people um, that were more talked about by those cities. Because when we look at ancient Greece, you see that. Um, there were just pockets where certain deities were more important than other ones. And there wasn't any homogenous view of, you know, this is the most important one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Zeus was kind of everywhere, but not everyone revered him as highly as other areas. And I mean, 
they all had similar stories or some of the same stories. But um, yeah, there are pocket deities where they just weren't quite as popular in some regions as others. Yeah. You know, she also had being a Titan working against her, mm-hmm. right? There aren't any Titans that are Olympians. Yeah. Yeah. So did, I, did in your research, no. did you come across a reason why you think she's popular now? Like what the resurgence for her has been? I mean, she's the queen of witchcraft and magic. I mean, that that's what I, is it just the, is it just the title? Like that's the, and so with this resurgence to, of. Yeah. You can go back to Gerald Gardner though. In like his early books, he writes about her pretty extensively. I think because she was seen as a goddess of witchcraft. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, it's just a it's a well that's easy to go to. So she's been really a part of modern witchcraft since the first book on modern witchcraft was published in the 50s. And there mm-hmm. aren't a whole lot of deities that are name checked in Gerald Gardner's books. So that mm-hmm. the fact that she is singled out by name probably played a large role. And you also see her a lot in pop culture when people talk about witches and goddesses. It's It's mm-hmm. almost always her. And I think pop culture has a huge influence on what we do. I'm not saying, oh, pop culture makes people worship gods and goddesses. I'm not saying that, but we're certainly influenced by it. Yeah. Well, and I mean, and if you believe that they have agency, then why would they not want to get name checked in pop culture? I mean, that's. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> no, I like that. Didn't you? So did in doing your research, I mean, other than obviously like Hecate and these ones that like are kind of footnoted in ways. Did you hit a wall with anybody like just doing research? Like we just can't find anything, but we want to include this person in the book, this deity in the book. Um, I think we were able to find a lot of information. Um, we had a lot of different sources. I think that the wall that we hit more than anything else was getting exhausted by doing all the research. I mean, Jason, you mentioned that this is half the size, you know, we share the work, but I put in just as much work, I think, as I did for my other books that I wrote by myself that are 100K. And this one's 100K words mm-hmm. as well. Um, but it's just, there's so much more information and we wanted to get mm-hmm. things correct and accurate too. And I mean, that's why we have like over 500 footnotes in there so people can look back at things and and see that, you know, we're not making it up. We're not mm-hmm. just taking unverified personal gnosis and claiming it is a historical fact. Yeah. So I think that that was more of the wall that I hit was just getting exhausted from all the research. And, um, you know, we each had six Olympians and a few Titans, a few primordial deities. And then we did, we each did like an introduction. Jason did a history. I did like a, how to use this book kind of introduction. And, you know, it was all coming together, but then we just ran out of, I just ran out of steam. I think Jason ran out of steam first and then I ran out of steam and then he was going along and then he lifted me up with his energy as well. It's, it's kind of, you know, uh, it's always a journey when you write a book with someone I'm guessing, but um, this was a unique one that I th- I feel like we really inspired each other after a while. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking about the book and it feels like some of these deities I must've written thousands of words for because you spend, you spend a whole lot of time researching a deity looking things up, trying to get into the roots of it and the history and the stories behind it. And then I'm looking through the book and it's like, this was a 300 word like bit, right? And there were like, there was like a hundred pages of reading just to get those 300 words. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the book was challenging in that respect because there was so much research to do. And I felt like when we started, my heart wasn't in it and Australia did all the heavy lifting of the book. 
And then by the end, I felt like the tables had turned and I did a lot of the lifting and because I think she was just exhausted because she was carrying my carcass for you know, <laughs> the first half of the year we worked on this thing. That sounds like a benefit of having a writing partner on the same project is that you can like one person can pick up the slack when the other person's not they not feeling it or whatever. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was great. Awesome. So coming yeah. away from the book um, with all that, I, I think about that, like, you know, probably with the, most books that this heavily researched, what we see of the research is the tip of the iceberg. But did either of you like come away from the book, like with a different understanding or a different respect or a different relationship with the folks that you had picked to research? Yeah. Um, so I, I've worked with Athena for over a decade by the time I'd written the book, I guess. Um, and she helped me get through graduate school. She helped me write my first two fiction books and then my first two other Llewellyn books. And by the time that I started researching her for this book, she was the first one I researched because I was so excited and I started delving into her history. And it was so fascinating because most of these deities, I, I want to say all of them, have pre-Greek origins. They came from somewhere, even if it was a combination of other deities or what have you. And sometimes there's very little known about those pre-Greek deities, what they were, what their names were, what they were deities of. Like sometimes we just have correspondences, some art, maybe a little bit of uh, literature or an inscription on a temple. But but researching Athena was really rewarding and knowing where she came from, exactly where she came from and figuring out um, her evolution through the ages as well. And I had an experience with her just so happened that nobody had chosen Athena to write about surprisingly. So I got to write about her and I was like, like, what am I going to write? I don't really know. And I had this very illuminating dream where I was, you know, just looking at it, some future cityscape, some kind of utopia looking place in a dream. And I was totally in it, you know, um, it looked three-dimensional to me in my dreams. And then all of a sudden it, everything froze. It was like a curtain. And then this being, this um, electric, this being made of electric lights, um, in a human shape, a little girl shape, kind of just pulled this curtain aside and just stared at me. Um, and and I, I knew it was Athena and she, she was just judging me. And I was shocked. I didn't, I couldn't say anything. I didn't know what to say or do. <laughs> so I just, you know, stood there and, and let her evaluate me, this um, being of light. And it was, uh, I was transfixed in a dream. And after a little while, she just seemed like she was satisfied with what she saw and she just smiled a little and closed the curtain and then the dream started right back up again so i woke up with that experience and you know going through the deities and learning so much more about them and having an experience like that is really telling that you know you're getting on this deeper level you're getting to know them on this deeper level and having these experience these kinds of experiences are showing you that yeah there's more to this than just the myth there's more than just the cultural practices there's the direct experience as well which is the heart of what i think the book is about modern witchcraft with the greek gods we place them you know we we respect the history and the culture of the past but we're in the present moment and so that's kind of like where we were building toward and i think that we succeeded in a lot of them for mm -hmm. a lot of the deities yeah I'm just thinking about the journeys that I went on with some of these deities. 
you know, like Zeus and Hera really stand out and Artemis and Hecate, but like Zeus and Hera are easy to talk about because you read mythology of Hera and it's not very sympathetic. It does not paint a very good portrait of this goddess, yet she was so revered by the Greeks and they also really um, revered the Roman version of her too. And she was a very no, like, noticed goddess like she was just like so important and uh, so beneficial to so many people and Zeus is the same way like we put Zeus on this pedestal on Mount Olympus that he's unknowable that he's frightening that he's scary and people wrote about Zeus like he's their best friend you know you want to play the queen song and walk hand in hand with Zeus and it's a really different understanding of the gods and I loved that about this book and doing that research and seeing those things and I've always liked the goddess Diana and kind of her offshoot, of course, is Aradia. So I, but I never really thought much about Artemis until I was writing the book. And I really fell in love with Artemis. Just the fact that she's so different than the rest of the gods and that she's stuck in an eight, like in a moment of perpetual youth. She's not quite an adult woman. Yeah, like she's a little bit younger than that, which is really unique amongst the gods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, one of the things that I did like about the book is it is not like reading Bullfinch's mythology because you do have this section on each each god, the Olympians, and then the Titans has like a a section for folks who haven't read it yet when it comes out um, on like a personal relationship with that deity, and then a section on like actually doing magic with that deity. So it is not Bullfinch's mythology if people think that's what they're going to pick up. It is very different in that regard. Um, so how did you decide, because you have a lot of contributors for those sections, how did you suss those people out? How did you find those people? There were some people that we knew we wanted to write certain passages. Um, like uh, Brianna, when she, Brianna, when she wrote uh, the Hecate, Brie, when she wrote the Hecate passage, that was who we were going to get. We were going to get Brie. There was no question. And we could have had a thousand people write Hecate passages for us, uh, but we wanted Brie. So we had a couple people that were in mind to write passages. And then sometimes you were just lucky to find someone with some of the deities. Like you were just, oh, this is this is joyful that somebody actually wants to write this passage. Like, And there were a few that we couldn't find. Like we couldn't find Ares. Mm-hmm. And I don't, we didn't find Hades either. We found Hades you know, last I, minute. Did we? Well, we did. That's right. You found Hades yeah. last minute. Yeah. And we didn't have, we didn't find Hephaestus. That was the other one that we didn't find. Yeah. Yeah. yeah his story is really interesting. Like how popular he was, um, you know, before Mount Olympus was, you know, <clears throat> bigger than uh, i guess uh longer ago he was just way more popular and then his po- popularity waned so much that you know he's kind of an afterthought now we're like oh yeah the the forger god of crafts mm-hmm. and stuff he's yeah. uh, he's all right but we don't see a lot of devotees we really tried to find devotees mm-hmm. for all of these deities and some of them are easy to find you know like hecate or akate you know however you want to pronounce it um we had a few for artemis a few for aphrodite but other ones it was it was kind of hard it was like we couldn't find anybody so we did our best trying to find them and you know i think that we magically found some people (laughs) like the hades passage like the hera passage um those just came to us you know they literally those people came to us and were like i've been working with this deity like oh (laughs) okay great great (laughs) it was also important 
Oh, go it ahead. was also important for us to find like a diverse group of people to write mm -hmm. about the deities. You know, it's it's not just a book full of like straight white men writing about the Greek gods uh, because they they appeal to so many different people. Mm -hmm. So that was really important to us was finding like a really diverse amount of voices to talk about these deities. Yeah, that makes sense too. Um, yeah, I was just thinking about Hephaestus and like really, I guess his Roman counterpart is Vulcan. And I think about like, you know, like the city of Birmingham in Alabama has like a giant Vulcan statue and like there are, but I think Vulcan is more in modern life. It's more like industrial. Like I think that's the like connotation with Vulcan is industrial. And that's not something as a witch I kind of want to, that's not something I would venerate as a witch, I guess. <laughs> so yeah. it kind of makes sense that that's probably not as many people. Hades surprises me though, because he's having a hot moment in pop culture. Oh yeah. You know, um, and then there's Laura Olympus that is like mm -hmm. kind of changing all the myths. It's I guess it's a retelling, you know. Mm -hmm. It's uh I don't know, it's I don't know what to think about Laura Olympus sometimes. It's it's its own little dream version. It's kind of like mm -hmm. the Marvel universe of you know, the, the yeah. uh, Norse gods. I, I just I try not to take offense to that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have I have been reading it and you're right. It is um it's like the rom-com of the gods kind of, I guess. Uh -huh. And that, but I was also thinking like Hades town, the Broadway musical. Um, oh, I haven't heard about that. Yeah. If um, I envy you the joy of discovery and uh, Anais Mitchell. Um, so she did a concept album herself and then it became this Broadway play. They have won Tony's it's, I highly recommend. So. I mean, part of the thing with Hades is you're not even really supposed to say his name. Mm -hmm. Right. So I mean, that's, you in, you invoke it's, it's hard. For, yeah. yeah, it's hard probably to get people to write about a deity whose name you're not even really supposed to say, like the activity with him, like I call him Pluton the whole way through, because mm -hmm. that was often how it was addressed, because, you know, I didn't want to get in trouble. That seems smart. Yeah, Especially not when like, you're writing the book, right? Like you don't want to curse your own book. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like the fae in a way, you know, it's you don't want to use their names necessarily because they'll they'll start paying attention to you. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. What well, what can we do? That's another, yeah. That's a whole other thing about writing this book is like you just, sometimes you just feel like, oh, I need to give an offering or something right now because I've probably pissed off this god. I think I apologized to Ares about 15 times while writing his little <laughs> history section because I was like, if he ever reads this, he's going to be offended. Yeah, well, you know, and I definitely had to stretch my abilities out to work with new deities to test the spells out and test the rituals out just because I wanted something that worked, you know? And so really the ones that the magical parts, like we had to meet them, we had to say hello and uh, have this kind of acquaintance so we could really be inspired by them. And then also figure out what works for them, like what kind of magical practices work for them, mm -hmm. what they like, what they don't like, you know, how, how things work for them to, to, so we could work with them and cooperate in the magical endeavor. Yeah. No, I like that. And it, I mean, it does seem like, you know, in addition, that kind of adds 
in addition to the research, there's also that personal connection to, to be able to write that part. So it just seems like such a labor of love in a lot of ways and just a labor by itself too. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was a lot of work, but um, we, we loved doing this and um, I think it shows too. I mean, we, we really had such a good time, even when there were tricky parts, you know, we had to ask questions instead of making assumptions, you know, explore possibilities. Even when Jason and I disagreed about something, you know, it's, we kind of just opened it up and let it just be open ended and not inclusive. So it's, it worked out for both of us in that way. Yeah. And I don't, I can't tell if you're laughing right now, Jason or not, but <laughs> I'm just I don't think we had a lot of disagreements, but I do remember one uh, in yeah. particular. Elusis, yeah. right? Elusis. It's always elusis with me. And yeah. you're not the first person I've done that to. Like I've read people's books and I'm like, no, they did not use psychedelics at elusis. There's just no evidence of that. And the people, but you know, may they could have, I guess, but there's a little I'm evidence. pretty sure that they did it. I'm, I think that some people did, but maybe not during the whole ritual, maybe during like, you know, when they were like chilling by themselves before everyone else got there. <laughs> Who knows, right? Oh, pre-gaming, pre-gaming. But yeah, it's, it's a hypothetical question. And, you know, when we explore and I, I think that we did justice to that and, and you know, not drawing any conclusions was is okay with us because yeah. unless we have a time machine we're just not going to know certain things yeah there's the downside of a mystery religion keeping its mysteries a little bit yeah they did a good job yeah. <laughs> for me too like and this kind of goes back a little ways to like a different question but this work was a devotional work for me the horn god of the witches was a devotional book for me and this is a devotional book for me i just love the greek gods so much and this is the kind of book I would have wanted 20 years ago when I was really starting my journey as a witch, because those were the gods I was attracted to because mm -hmm. they've been the gods that have always kind of called to me since my youth. Right. So it, though it was a lot of work, it's really rewarding work because I got to write this thing that, you know, I'm giving to the gods, you know, and I love that about it. So what is that? Um, I'm just like, I always think about like when you finish a book, like there's this weird space after you finish. So what was that like finishing it and like kind of looking at, I mean, because it seems like it, it would be devotional. There was a lot of work, a lot of research. So how do you like decompress from that and start looking at a new thing? You know, for me, there always seems to be something on the writing desk. So there's not a lot of time to decompress. I think while I was writing parts of this book, I was writing the Witch's Book of Spellcraft. And then while I was writing parts of this book, I'd begun working on the Raymond Buckland biography. So the, the problem is it's hard to switch gears from mm -hmm. one project to another. But the gods are mostly pretty understanding. So they let me turn them off when I needed to turn them off. Yeah, I took a whole month off from writing, which is longer than I usually do. Uh, and I had another book in the pipeline as well about the magic of creativity. And so there is a big gear shift when you finish writing a book and turn it in and it's all in and good. And there's no more immediate revisions. And then you have to start writing another one. So 
<laughs> getting a clear headspace was was really important for me. I took a lot of walks. I saw a lot of friends. I partied um, as much as I could during a pandemic in the winter and then jumped into the next one as soon as I could. Mm. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I really liked ending the feeling of ending this book and everything being turned in, everything being pretty much correct. You know, my only fine tuning was needed. It felt really good. It felt bigger than any of my other books because it was, you know, just so voluminous with all the data and the facts mm -hmm. and information and the ways we presented it. Llewellyn makes it challenging too, because of the way that they put together books. So you, you write a book and it might take you six months or a year, whatever it takes. And then when it's done, you turn it in. And then they, a couple of weeks later, they send it back to you and tell you what you did wrong and what they'd like you to change. And during that kind of intermediate time, maybe you've started another project and then you have to like switch gears and go back to the book. And then there's like a second, there's another round of changes, which is usually like edits to the book. And these are only done like what, like four or five months ago, right? So you're already really immersed in another project. And then you have to like go back to this project that you thought was done and you wanted to you wanted it to be over with, you know, because you wanted to get out it for it to get out into the world. Yeah. And you're like, what was that source? I don't know what that source was. I'm going to have to look through 14 different books. OK, it's not of these 14 books. So maybe it was a paper. You know, <laughs> it's, I don't yeah. even remember writing that. Are you sure that I wrote that? <laughs> Yeah. Your Just own writing amnesia. <laughs> I mean, I think it, it's like a protective mechanism for writers. Like there's no way you can keep all that in your head. Yeah. You know, I think you're doing those final passages and Australia's like, I didn't write this. And I'm like, I didn't write that. We'll just leave it like it is. You know, nobody, nobody <laughs> wants to do the work. Delete it. Yeah. yeah. Move on. Mm -hmm. But we do the work. I don't you know. Gotta, if you got to make sure that it's, you know, shiny and perfect as it possibly can be. <laughs> Yeah, my, in the middle of all this, my cat has decided to go insane. So I don't know what's going on. I'm sure the mic picked up some meowing. Um, we love cats. It's okay. <laughs> he, he is our podcat. Um, but yeah, like I, I just yeah the the decompression from that that makes sense to me, especially if something else is right on the horizon. But like now that it's out in the world, I mean, I think we all have this as writers. Like there is something I would do differently now that I've seen it in print. Do, you, do either one of you have something like that with this book? I guess the I, only thing is I would have reviewed it again just for um, clarity and uh, I don't know, musicality, I guess. <laughs> with so many facts, it's important to have like a, like certain cadence. And, you know, Jason is really good at being this writer who's really easy to read. And I think my work is is more poetic you know we just have different writing voices so i think that uh a big thing that i experienced was making my uh, uh writing more accessible and i would go i would go back again one more time and make it a little bit even more accessible uh for those people who um you know get used to jason's writing voice and you know to come into my writing is it's just a little bit different I think this is like my best writing ever. Like I usually like my writing makes me want to throw up and I go back to this book 
And I love how I started certain sections, like the Aphrodite, the Pacific Ocean is cold and violent. You know, that's the opening line. And I'm like just happy with my work and I'm usually not. So uh, maybe it was just because I got to work with these gods that I love so much. Though there's also another thing about my writing that Estrella says and some of our other friends say, everything I write begins with my wife Ari and I. <laughs> And uh, that there's no that's in this book too. I mean, that's not a bad that's thing. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of sweet actually. So well, we had to designate who was writing which passages, so people didn't think that I was married to her. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been harder to explain to the public. Yeah, probably. But I don't know. Having read it straight through, like, um, I I I never felt lost. I mean, I, I just like, I, and I never felt like a jarring switch between your voices like it it seems to work really well so thank you that's wonderful to hear yeah i think like the way that we put together the book too makes it so much easier right because we're both writing about each of the gods in its own way right maybe it's a history or maybe it's a ritual or some spells or whatever but you know we both write about each of the Olympians and the other major deities. Uh, so within each section, you get both of our voices, which mm -hmm. I thought was like really great and mm -hmm. really different from how I like wrote books with Laura Tempest Sackroff or my coven when we did Spellcraft. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, Tempest and I was like, you know, alternating chapters. We didn't really consult each other very much on the chapters. And she wrote about a specific thing. And then I would write a, a, about a specific thing. But in this book, we're sharing all the specific things. Yeah. You know, it, we're sharing them in different ways, but we're sharing both of like all the specific things. And I love that. Mm -hmm. And it is nice yeah. to get the multiple perspectives on each mm -hmm. of those from the two of you and then from all the contributors as well. That's, I, that's one of the things I really liked about it. Yeah, the contributors. I just have to clap for them real quick because they were amazing. I think like most of my books have guest passages. And I love that because it, it introduces new writers out into the world. And mm -hmm. oftentimes after somebody does a guest passage, they get the bug and then want to write their own books. And yeah, so that's like hopefully like in 60 years, people go back through the things I've written. And like that was that person's first published work. You know, they were slumming it in a manky book, but then they did their own thing. Yeah, actually, I, your in Tempest's book, Jason, was my first published work. So, yeah. See what it leads to? Or right. my published stuff, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I know Jason has a hard stop, so I want to make sure that um, you both get an opportunity to plug what's coming next for you and, um, you know, what's on. we got plenty of time. Okay. Well, we also have our last question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you still get your game of chance at the end. So I want to make sure we have time for all that. And, um, all right. Australia, do you want to plug first? So this oh, will, sure. I'm trying to tell y'all when this will air. <clears throat> so it'll be like mid February when this comes out. So you want to think about I what's think on the horizon. Okay, so yeah, people can find me. I have a webpage. It's astrayataylor.com. I also am on Instagram and a few other social media sites. And um, one of the best ways to learn more about me is to read my books. I have a book called Intuitive Witchcraft, which came out from Llewellyn in 2020. Air Magic came afterward, won a cover award 
was published in 2021. We have uh, this Greek gods book. And then um, I have a book called Inspiring Creativity Through Magic, which is coming out in July of 2023. And it's available for pre-order now. It's all about working with the creative spirit, whatever you call it, a genius, a muse, what have you and ritualizing your art so you can really get into it, find those juicy nuggets and bring them out into the world. And there's a section about performing or releasing your art into the world as well and working with the egregore of your art too. So that was a really fun book to write. I really was looking forward to jumping into that one right after writing this one. So it was a, it was a wonderful transition. Awesome. Jason, what's up for you? Where can people find you? I have a website, panmankey.com, and I'm on all the major social media platforms. By the time this airs, will there be a Twitter? That That's an open question, but for now, I'm there, <laughs> usually at panmankey. I think on Instagram now, it's the Silicon Valley Witch, which I just find hilarious. And Victoria, I also know you're a Silicon Valley Witch, so it's not <laughs> like I'm saying I'm the only Silicon Valley Witch. A just, Silicon Valley Witch, not the Silicon yeah. Valley Witch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, everywhere. Lots of books, too. This is my ninth book, uh, you know, or a seventh, if you like, depending on how you look at the collaborators. Are those half books or whole books? I think yeah, you I still just know, get to count it as a book. I think it's still a book. Yeah, I think so, too. So, yeah, nine books. So much stuff. I'm going to have my own bookshelf. Yay. Uh, that's not a bad thing either. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. So our last question is the um, Scorpio in me question. Um, so I'm going to roll a die and depending on which I get, we can, we, we can, there's no rules to this game, so we can make our own rules. You can each get at your own topic or you can answer the same question. So, um, and I try to ask questions that are at least related to the work or your writing, not like a total 180, although, you know, no rules. So if I roll, uh, depending on what number I roll, you get death, sex, religion, politics, or money. And if I roll a six, you get to pick which one you want. So five. Oh, money. So would one of you like it or do both of you want to answer the money question? I'll pass. Okay. Oh, I guess you spoke first, so I'm stuck with it. <laughs> Nose goes. <laughs> All right. So... Aside from free or not getting paid or pro bono work, what is the least amount of money you've made from a piece of writing? Oh, wow. Um, I, you know, like so much of it tends to be free. I would say blog writing probably like each post is worth maybe $2 or something. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, not very profitable writing. You know, I, I guess if you're a witchcraft writer and you come into this to make money, like lots of money, you're going to be really disappointed. I think people have like really skewed ideas about how many books even a well-known witchcraft author sells. Mm -hmm. You know, there are some exceptions out there, but, you know, most of us have small print runs and you're looking at, you know, like in a good year, you know, selling a couple thousand books, maybe 5,000 books or something, not like tens of thousands of books. So money in our arena is kind of a sensitive, depressing topic. Uh, it's not just this niche. I think it's all, I mean, most writers make a dollar a book or less. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. 
and I think Australia and I are both lucky that we've done better, much better than that. But if I was relying on book income to live, I would be lucky to eat ramen every night, I think. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Oh, yeah, it's, um, I don't know, it's one of those things, it's like, it's so much work. Like, okay, let's say you do make a dollar a book and you sell 20,000 copies and it took you two years to write a book. You can make $10,000 a year. Like that, for that one book, that's not great. <laughs> that's not even minimum wage. No, and it <laughs> so. is, it is about a dollar a book really like what you're getting in royalties mm -hmm. yeah. it goes up the longer a book is in print and i guess the idea is if you really want to be successful at this is to print as many you know publish as many books as you mm -hmm. can so maybe through volume you end up doing okay yeah. you know and then i will say though writing has given me opportunities to do things i never thought i would have ever done going to festivals and events and things and meeting interesting people and seeing parts of the country i might not have otherwise yeah. ever seen so you know it's it's very fulfilling in a lot of ways i mean i would have never met australia without writing books i mean we live on different sides of the country and i was at a festival and and we met right yeah. so i'm very blessed that i get to do this even even if it is a little you know uh tough on the wallet sometimes yeah. Well, I was thinking about that, like the opportunity to do festivals and things like that. I think one of the topics that comes up in that circle is like so much of that work is also unpaid as a writer. Like you, you're kind of paying your own way to get there. You're either paying the, you know, sometimes you get your fee waived to attend, but you still got to pay your own travel and all of that stuff. So I think it's still like, even in the money realm, like that's like, you got to go out to flog the book, but that costs money too. So, yeah, I think I've, I'm seeing it change a little bit and I'm hoping that's the case um, that, you know, some places are actually paying more. They're giving you more amenities. They're actually giving you a place to stay and or travel. Um, but that's not every festival. Mm -hmm. I'd like to see more because I think people would pay a little bit more on the entry fee if they knew that the organizers and the people who are presenting were actually taken care of. And it wasn't just on their dime because what happens when, you know, that's the case is that you get people who are, they have just more money to spend or invest in themselves. And so we're seeing kind of a smaller subset of the population being able to present at those places specifically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I had someone on social media ask me the other day, like we were talking about festivals. And they're like, which of those festivals actually covers all of the expenses for their presenters? And it's a very, very small list. I guess I'm I'm lucky enough at this point, like if somebody asked me to do a festival, they're usually going to fly me in and give me a place to stay and feed me. And, you know, sometimes even there might be like a fee on top of that or I can sell books. So it's not like crippling financially, but there are still like big festivals that are what I would assume are successful who cover almost nothing mm -hmm. for presenters or only really cover anything for maybe two or three presenters. And as Estrella says, if we want diversity at these festivals, we have to compensate people who are going to present. It's expensive to get to festivals. It's expensive to stay at festivals. And then you're losing income because you're not at your regular job. Yeah. If you, and, you know, if we truly value diversity, we have to spend a little bit more on some of these events. Yeah. People have to be willing to pony up not 80 bucks for a weekend, but maybe 150 bucks 
And often, if you look at the quality of people at some of these festivals, you know, it's a real bargain and it's a bargain because most of the presenters aren't getting anything. Yeah. Yep. That bargain comes sour. at a cost. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't, think, it's, sour. I don't think it's sour. I don't, I don't think it, I don't think it's sour. I think it's something that, um, I mean, I like to get all this stuff out and talk about it, but, um, like it, it is, it does hit on what both of you touched on that. There are people who are going to be left at voices who are going to be left out of that because they can't afford to do that. They can't afford to take that time off work. They can't afford to travel without being compensated. And so we're, you know, as a culture, we're missing out on those voices. And we're also like keeping an echo chamber, of, you know, mostly privileged people who can who can do that. So I think it I don't think it's sour. I think it just needs to be said. <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, there's also something to be said of, oh, this is an expensive. Anybody can go to it. Right. So, I mean, you're you have, there's a balance that we haven't met yet. There's got to yeah. be a place to meet in the middle um, that, you know, we can afford to spend money on a multitude of voices that it's not just coming out of people's pockets to work. Pantheacon in San Jose was the biggest pagan festival in the United States for a couple of years until it, sh it shut down recently. Mm -hmm. And it was always funny to me. Like I would go there and I'd do like three workshops and a ritual or something. And it would cost me like a thousand dollars with hotel rooms and stuff. And I basically paid to work. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy mm -hmm. that you have to pay to work. And that how that's how it is at some of these things. Yeah. I mean, and workshops are work. I know that Australia puts time and energy into what she does. I put time and energy into what I do. Everyone that I know who presents at major festivals puts time and energy into what they do. Yeah. Well, and I do think, you know, one of the tiny silver linings of the pandemic was that we did have festivals go online. And so that changed the money equation because it was you you took out the travel, you took out the hotels, you could pay people, you could make it less expensive for people to attend. You know, so I'm hoping that going forward we keep those in mind too and we have opportunities like that for people and for people who can't travel to go to festivals. I mean it, it lets them have the privacy or the opportunity to do that at home. So I mean that was kind yeah, of cool. I'd like I'd like to see sliding scales more available too. So people who make less money can get entry um, and, you know, maybe opportunities for bunk houses or, you know, renting out an Airbnb as opposed to getting your own hotel room. You have to split mm -hmm. with one other person, you know, some ways that we can cheapen the total price, but still provide an effective uh, environment where you can see these people that you've read for years and interact with them yeah. on a personal level and yeah. uh you know people can pay their sliding scale fair share awesome yeah as well, a presenter i don't like online stuff a whole lot because you don't get that give and take with an audience yeah like when i tell a dick joke i don't know if people are going to laugh at it or not <laughs> so so that's challenging in its own way but they really give everybody an opportunity mm -hmm. uh, to see speakers that they're interested in seeing. And it's so much more affordable and there's no travel and you don't have to pay all those extra costs. And I think that's something that's going to stick around because I continue to see the online events. Like mm -hmm. I was at uh, the Witch's Sabbath, which Devin Hunter and Matt Oren mm -hmm. and Storm Fairywolf put on and Laura Tempest-Sakroff. And that was great. I mean, there was like not a whole lot of presenters, but they were like, good quality 
presenters and there were people from all over the world attending, you know, people from the UK and uh, other parts of Europe and of course United States and Canada, probably somebody from Brazil, that wouldn't surprise me at all. And so, yeah, I love those online things in that everybody gets to participate and it doesn't cost a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I feel like online's interesting. I feel like an online workshop is one thing. It's is pretty much I don't know, you don't have the personal interactions and I always miss that with online, but when I was leading a ritual online recently, I found that I could actually connect with people's energy the same way in a similar way as if they were with me in the room. I think it just takes another set of skills and I think during the pandemic we were all learning those skills and you know how to use zoom how to use a powerpoint how to give a presentation online and still have your personality come across since you don't have the benefit of body language and a three-dimensional face and all that stuff but yeah i think the learning curve is was steep for a while but now we're mostly on board and I, i've seen a lot of good quality output of online festivals as well awesome so, Astraya, would you like your own question too? Sure. Okay. So we'll roll again. If we get a five, we'll just knock that one out. <laughs> okay. That was quite the discussion of money. <laughs> I know. That's why I love this. We went deep. So three, religion. You just wrote a whole book about that. Um, so this one takes it kind of a different way. So if you were going to set up a pantheon of sainted writers for you, who would who would be in your pantheon of writers oh wow that would be amazing so like the writers are deities mm -hmm. or people you venerate i guess mighty dead however you want to look at it yeah wow yeah i would love that i mean like um of course Devin and matt would be up there uh you know <laughs> in, in their own ways and um uh jason i think laura too and then um, you know, I have some niche authors that I like a lot, like Clarissa Pinkola Estes. I think that she would be an outsider kind of from the witchcraft community. And um, there are other, I guess, um, yeah, I would, I, I really do appreciate a lot of the modern writers. And um, I think that, you know, the elders have a place as well, the, the people who have been paving the way for us, like Starhawk. Um, and, uh, Selena from circle sanctuary. I don't know. I think that my cosmology would be pretty vast though. I'm, I'm touching the surface of just a few yeah. people whose work I just really, really love. And I can read over and over again. Yeah. I like that. Jason, you want to weigh in? <laughs> oh yeah. There's like, I'm thinking of all kinds of things. So Madeline Miller would be on my list because I would always want retellings of the Greek myths and mm -hmm. her prose Oh, yeah, so she's beautiful. amazing. Like, oh, yeah. God. Oh, my God. Uh, Zora Neale Hurston, uh, who wrote extensively about like conjure and uh, traditions in the African-American community. So I, I would definitely want her on my pantheon. Lilith Dorsey, I would want on my pantheon. Also, just because Lilith is like one of my favorite people to eat food with at 2 a.m. <laughs> uh, uh, definitely Tempest. I love Matt and Devin uh, so very, very much. Um, gosh. Um, oh, Evo Dominguez. There's so like, we're just so blessed that we have so many great people in our community. And then all time too, Doreen Valiente, mm -hmm. you know, Doreen, 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 and Ronald Hutton. 
uh, author of Triumph of the Moon, the more academic stuff. I love that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I know. It does feel like we get to be in a golden age of research and writing on this topic. And I'm both like kind of in lay people's terms and in academic terms, there's just like so much. Like I, I just feel like my to be read pile would crush me if it fell over. So yeah, there my, really is something for everybody right now. I mean, there's so many different publishing houses and books that look at like really specific and narrow things within witchcraft. Uh, it really is a great time. Who would have ever thought there'd be a whole book just about eyes? That's crazy. <laughs> like what idiot would even write that, you know, and, and yet it exists. And yet it exists. <laughs> there's a whole series of witches tools. In fact. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I just want to thank you. <laughs> oh, I just want to thank you both for being on the show. I, this was a treat for me and I hope that it was for you all as well. Definitely. I love your questions. They're so unique. Awesome. It's always a pleasure and I'm looking forward to my jacket. So, all right. you know, just, I got to work on that. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'll get, get busy get embroidering. <laughs> well thanks for having us on i really appreciate it yeah thank you both yeah. witch lit is a production of thousand volt press our intro music is cosmic glow by andrew k and our outro music is voices by alexander shanekar Transcripts and all our previous episodes are available at witchlitpod.com and you can follow us on Instagram at witchlitpod. Thanks for listening and for reading Witchy.